What's up, guys? Welcome back to Storytime with Uncle Reddit. My name's John, and this is r slash Tales from Tech Support. Happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. Of course, some of you guys probably won't see this until the day after, but anyway. Still trying to get geared up to get on the road and get ahead of things, and it's not working well at all. Uh, I may end up taking this whole computer rig with me on vacation because I don't have a laptop that can handle this kind of crap unless I do audio only. Uh, we'll, we'll see. I don't know. Anyway, let's do some tech support. Have I passed my tech support initiation now? So I'm in an internal IT services team and most of the calls we take are internal first part staff. Staff member calls and they immediately launch into the issues that they were having while trying to work from home. They were at a BitLocker screen and didn't know the key. There are skips to get around this particular problem and back to Windows, so I try to support and direct them, but the customer is adamant that the options I'm describing don't exist on this page. I arrange for a brief hold so I can consult with a colleague and then go back to the call. Oh, hi again, says the customer and continues with, Let me tell you first that it turns out I'm actually on my partner's work laptop. I thought I'd stay to tell you in case this happens to anyone else. During the stages of goodbye, they then introduce another issue. Whilst I have you here still, the Wi-Fi at my worksite won't let me connect with my staff details. I'm a little light on the site details around their geography, so I say as much and ask, is the site run by company? Oh, no, it's not our company, they reply. Hiding a sigh, I recommend to speak to any IT services there to receive information about Wi-Fi credentials. They thank me and we say our goodbyes. I'm a little confused by that, but anyway, if you've done any tech support at all ever in your life, even if it's just for family or your loving wife, you've passed your initiation. And most end users are going to make things slightly more complicated because they have no idea what's going on. Some of them have no idea what's going on outside of their computer issues, but that's another story. Tell me about yourself. It was my third week on the job, a Wednesday. Up until this point, I had spent a week in training and two doing simple tasks like swapping keyboards and mice, learning the culture and meeting various people. But on this day, which also happened to be an anniversary with my wife, I got my first major test, a desk swap. On the surface, a desk swap sounds simple. Unplug a bunch of cables, move the hardware, connect them again. But these workstations were neither simple nor single. Each desk had two machines connected with KVM switches. One had four heavy and thick, for LCDs, 21-inch monitors. The other had six. All the monitors were attached with heavy metal arms to rails on the desk. The traders had his or her preferences for which machine displayed on which monitor. These were also SBFI trading desks, which means that the cables are built into the desk, and that if they're not properly labeled, it's a trial and error process to figure out which cable is which. At the time, I didn't even know what a trading desk was, and I tried to pull out individual cables, which complicated things. I was given 15 minutes to do the job, starting at 1845, with my scheduled time off at 1900. Of course, knowing what I know, 15 minutes is not a realistic time in which to get the job done. Even at my peak, after I had mastered this job after a year, it would have taken at least 30 minutes barring any unforeseen issues. This was a test for my manager. How would I handle it? Of course, my manager did not know that it was my anniversary and that I was planning to have dinner with my wife. We weren't supposed to do overtime without pre-approval either. With these looming over my head, I had extra desire to finish quickly, but it was my first time doing this and I couldn't rush it. And it was the only window in which to get this done. The voice guys had already come and swapped the dealer board, so there was no going back. In my innocence, I thought it would be easiest to physically swap all the monitors, considering the user's preferences, and that even identical model monitors can have variations in color and viewing angles. It seemed like the right thing to do. After all, in the small office environment where I had last worked, I'd do stuff like this all the time. I quickly learned that things were different in this environment. 
First, as mentioned before, these MFers were heavy. These monitors were 21-inch professional-grade NEC LCDs, 3 inches thick. The metal arms, then, had to be just as heavy-duty in order to hold up these monitors to the rails. Second, the rails are situated at the back of the desk, furthest away from you. You have to lean forward and extend your arms while holding something that weighs a couple of bowling balls, and you have to precisely guide the metal arms into the rails, then hold up the weight while you lock them down. And sometimes the locking levers were stripped, so you had to manually position them a certain way or the whole thing would come crashing down. Or you would duck up your fingers, getting them caught in the rail. Seriously, I don't think it was even physically possible for some of my skinnier coworkers to do this. Third, on some monitors, the cable screws would be frozen in the holes, and no amount of twisting or even using a screwdriver could unfreeze them. This was a blessing in disguise for me, though, because this is how I learned that moving all the monitors didn't make sense. In the end, I just moved the two over to the other desk and arranged both to match their originals. At this time, I'm sweating profusely in my wool slacks, cotton undershirt, and button-down dress shirt, the standard uniform for this company's IT staff, regardless of the physical demands of the job. On the third day of this job, three weeks prior, my 15-year-old pair of dress shoes gave out right in the middle of training, and I had to run down to the mall to get a new pair. Unfortunately for me, this was a luxury mall, and even the cheapest pair of shoes ran several hundred US dollars. Ouch. If I was going to spend hundreds of dollars on shoes, I figured I'd at least get a pair that I thought looked good. Somehow in the end, the shoes I bought cost $900, and I walked out of the store in a daze. So here I am in my $900 shoes, crawling and squatting underneath desks, pulling out wheeled trays with sharp metal edges on which 50-pound metal computer towers sat. These shoes were meant for going to a wedding or a ball, or perhaps wearing to work by those whom I was moving these workstations for, not for physical activity. But I needed to bend my feet to get under the desk, and the leather was hard. Well, I had to do it. And when I finally sold the shoes on eBay last year, the crease was still there. Now it was 2030, and with the workstations physically configured, it was time to make sure everything was where they were supposed to be. Fired up each workstation, confirmed they're displaying on the correct monitors, confirmed the KVM numbers match, and confirmed they can ping the exchange server. Yes! Time to go. Time to have a nice dinner with my wife, and time to worry about the true test tomorrow morning when the traders come in to work. Welcome to life in frontline IT support, investment bank style. $900. That's not a typo. I didn't stutter when I read it. Well, I did. I think my brain actually skipped a little. Who the hell spends $900 on a pair of shoes? I don't care. I don't care. I don't care what kind of money you make. I've spent up to just under $300 on a pair of really good work boots that I knew were going to last me, support my feet, be safe on the job site, things like that. And that just about killed me. I'm sorry. If my only option was wearing a wore out pair of shoes that broke down in the middle of training or spending $900 on a pair of shoes. Baby, let me tell you something. The roll of duct tape is coming out. We're going to duct tape those shoes back together and we're going to move on until we get away from that geographical area and find another place to buy some decent work shoes. Oh my God, $900. I don't think so. That is insane. The only time I could see this ever being even remotely okay is if my pay is on par with those trader guys. But you know, at the end of the day, it's not. So, yeah. Anyway, after that shoe shock, I don't even remember what the rest of the story is about. But uh, I will say this. Just be thankful that they weren't CRT monitors. So, yeah. But did you reboot? Older lady calls me pissed. I had just replaced her Windows 98 SE machine with XP. Yeah, it was a minute ago. And she's making it abundantly clear she's not happy. She's the VP of Finance's admin assistant. IT reports to finance. Anyway, I'm like, okay, we'll reboot the machine. If it's still an issue, then it's actually a problem, but it should fix with a reboot. 
Two seconds later, she says, Okay, I rebooted. I breathe. Okay, I'll be right there, I say as I get up from my desk to walk to hers. I arrive. Okay, reboot again. She hits the power button to the monitor and again to turn it on. Done, she says. When I left her desk, she had a big red button icon on her desktop that said, Reboot. That is all. Cheers. Let's be real, OP. You knew exactly what she was going to do when you asked her to reboot. And you know at that speed that she actually didn't reboot. So, oh well, good for you for keeping it calm and just getting things done. And uh, hopefully she knows what the big red button does now. When the invisible virus held the printer hostage. Picture this, a frantic call first thing in the morning from a particularly tech-challenged employee. Let's call her Judy. Judy, sounding more spooked than I've ever heard her, there's an invisible virus in the printer. It's holding my documents hostage. I nearly choked on my coffee. An invisible virus in the printer? This was new. Judy explained in a trembling voice, every time I send a document to the printer, it disappears. It's just gone. With a mix of amusement and curiosity, I decided to check it out. I remotely accessed her computer and sent a test document to the printer. Sure enough, nothing came out. I decided to check the printer queue, and voila, all of Judy's missing documents were there, stuck in the queue due to a simple paper jam. I guided Judy through the unjamming process, and lo and behold, her documents were set free. So, no invisible virus, just a rebellious printer. I guess in the realm of tech support, truth can be funnier than fiction. Stay safe and remember to check for paper jams before calling the exorcist. It's funny, I've met a lot of people who get freaked out at the most seemingly innocent things. I guess if you don't know, you don't know, and maybe that's what freaks them out. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's not like your hair's on fire or, you know, somebody just ran over your cat. Whatever. I mean, it's just a lost document. Relax. It's there somewhere. Exorcist. In which I am blamed for the misdeeds of formerly elected officials. Some years ago, I worked at a company that created and supported websites for U.S. Senate. I worked primarily as L1 inbound call grunt and low-level admin assistant. I was essentially an abuse sponge for disgruntled members of the public when they couldn't grok a tool or service on a website. What the hell is grok? Nah, no worries, you guys will explain it to me. Most cases were easy enough and many people became very apologetic after hurling their words to the anonymous voice on the other side of the receiver. However, this situation stands out to me due to mental gymnastics involved with the caller. Me. Hi, this is L1 grunt with company. Your website isn't user-friendly. Me, what site are you having an issue with? The chat on the state website, it doesn't work. Me, rambles off general browser troubleshooting. Are you able to see the chat now? No, it doesn't show. Me, do you see the little icon floating in the lower right hand corner? Yeah, it's a virus. No, that's the chat icon for the site. It's trusted software used for the state website. I don't trust anything from the state since and Q semi-coherent ran about former elected officials, then current elections, and said former officials, and then recent news. At this point, I interrupt him and ask if he needs help with anything else. Well, you clearly sound like a lapdog B for political candidate. <laughs> if ex-politician would have cut the effing budget, I wouldn't have to hear you. I say goodbye and hang up. Didn't take name-calling callers in that job. Crabby caller man tried calling in several more times that day, but we didn't answer since his voicemails were just rants about nothing in particular. He kept blaming me personally for every decision made by government officials. Happy I left that job shortly after that for unrelated reasons. I don't understand why people have to make assumptions of who you voted for, why you voted for them, what your political leanings are, what your religious leanings are, your preferences, your pronouns. Who gives a shit? Does it work now or what? And if somebody's going to call me for help and then start berating me, listen here, Scooter. Actually, you know what? 
don't listen. Click. Anyway, I'd probably have a lot more to say than that, but I really can't cuss on this channel or I get demonetized, so. Next story. I demand you drive to my house and restart my router for me. <laughs> Remembered another little gem from a month or so back. The customer had sent in a trouble ticket that his internet wasn't working after changing internet speed. My department at Second Line proceeded to troubleshoot it and couldn't see anything wrong. We could clearly see his private router was receiving an IP address and was pingable. As such, I called the customer to ask him to connect a PC directly to his CPE. Unfortunately, this wasn't an option. See, it turned out that the customer was not even at home. Instead, he was around 800 kilometers away on the other side of the country and wouldn't be home for five months or so. How did he know his internet didn't work then, you might ask? Well, apparently the guy had some kind of surveillance system with a ton of cameras and he could no longer connect to them remotely and demanded that we fix it. I might add that our support stretches to making sure internet works at home on one unit, not troubleshooting people's security systems connecting via VPN. I told the customer the deal. We didn't see anything wrong and that he needed to restart his equipment, CPE and router, and connect a PC directly before we could even consider taking this ticket further. The absolute basics, but as mentioned, the customer wasn't exactly available to do this. Instead, the customer thought we should send out a technician to his house, and I guess break in to restart his equipment. Naturally, I told him no, since that would be highly illegal. The customer then demanded that we reimburse him for needing to travel 1,600 kilometers back and forth to restart his equipment himself. Naturally, I told him we wouldn't do that. He also demanded us to tell him his IP address so he could fix the issue himself. Naturally, I told him we didn't give out IP addresses over the phone, since that would be highly illegal and go against GDPR. It went back and forth like that for around 20 minutes. In the end, I told him, look, your options are either to go home and do basic troubleshooting or live with the issue of not being able to use your cameras remotely until you get home in five months. Which one do you prefer? The customer refused both options. I then hung up the phone. Rumor has it the customer still can't access his security cameras from wherever he's at. <laughs> so the guy just expects you to just, you know, make it happen. Go to my house, break in, reset everything for me. You don't have a trusted family member or friend nearby with a key that you could send to your house? I mean, we all do that. If we all go on vacation, you know, there's somebody helping with our pets, helping with our house, making sure our mail gets in, you know, because porch pirates and everything else. It's just insane to me that people really think everybody outside their personal sphere is their, like, personal servant or something. I don't know. Just nuts. The blender sounds inappropriate. So let me spill the tea. As a customer service rep for this top-notch online retailer, I've had my fair share of customers with some truly outlandish grievances. But there's one incident that had me raising an eyebrow and stifling a giggle. Picture this, loves. I get a call from this customer. We'll call her Miss Quirky. From the moment she started speaking, I could sense her frustration. And guess what had her all worked up? Brace yourselves. It was about something as peculiar as the sound of a blender. Miss Quirky had recently snagged this fancy pants blender from our store. Now you'd think she'd be over the moon with her purchase, but no. She had a bone to pick with the sound it made. According to her, the blender's noise was disturbingly pleasant and threw her whole cooking routine off balance. <laughs> I couldn't help but burst into laughter inside. <laughs> I mean, who complains about a blender making a pleasant sound? But hey, we're here to provide the best customer service. So I assured Miss Quirky that we'd look into it, promising her a replacement with a more appropriate sound. I couldn't help but wonder what exactly that meant. As I hung up the phone, I couldn't stop giggling at the sheer quirkiness of it all. It just goes to show, babes, that in the world of customer service, you never know what kind of complaints will come your way. But hey, we're here to listen, support, and find solutions for our customers, no matter how quirky their requests may be. So remember, lovelies, when it comes to customer service, it's all about keeping that impeccable professionalism while navigating the wackiest of complaints. 
Embrace the unexpected because it's these one-of-a-kind encounters that make our job a true adventure. Oh my god, you sound almost like a military recruiting commercial there. Um, yeah. See the world! Lies. Anyway, what did she say? Unreasonably pleasant sound? I don't understand how any blender, I don't care how expensive it is, is going to make a pleasant sound. It's grinding, it's chopping, it's whirring, it's... I don't know. And as for professionalism, um, I'm sorry, if I heard this and I was in OP shoes, that laugh would have been outside. Like, no inside voices that day. It would have all been let out. No filter at all. Now, I may have apologized afterwards, but uh, there's no way I could have held that one in. So My professionalism filter only goes so far. It's only so strong before that damn bursts and somebody gets a loud laugh in their ear or something. All right, guys. Thanks for sharing a little bit of your day with me today. Hope you enjoyed the stories. And if you did enjoy the stories, do me a favor. Give us a like, maybe a comment or two. Uh, same thing on the podcast format. If you would like to leave a review, that would be more than welcome. And you can probably comment along with those reviews. So, yeah, let us know what you like, what you don't like. Yeah. All right. Until the next one, guys, we'll see you.